are thankful this morning for your great love that is lavished upon us. Uh, we're thankful for grace. We're thankful for mercy. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we are gathered here today for no other reason than to worship you. And we've done that, and we pray that we'll continue to do that as we open up your word. We invite your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to challenge us, to convict us, and to change us into the image of Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 4 with me. The book of Acts chapter 4. I want to share a message with you this morning that I've simply titled, The One and Only Way. The One and Only Way from Acts chapter 4. Now, one of the main objections to Christianity is our claim that Jesus is the one and the only way to be saved. There are people who would say, well, you know, we are all on the same mountain. It's just that we're going up different paths to get there. Or maybe there are those who would say, you know, being sincere, that's what's most important. As, as long as you have a sincere heart, surely God will accept sincere hearts. And in our culture especially, there is an unspoken rule. Don't tell people that their religion is wrong. Because after all, the rationale goes, no civilized, educated person would dare imply that the, their belief system is superior to someone else's, and there's no way that civilized, educated people would dare not try to convert people to their religious beliefs. This isn't a new controversy. Ancient religions, all the way back to Hinduism, have multiple gods who are a path to supposedly the supreme. God. So there are, in their opinion, multiple ways to get to God. Recall the first commandment where Jesus said, you shall have no other gods before me. That was an indication that from the very beginning, our hearts were set on seeking after different types of gods in our own imagination or seeking different ways to find God. Or you take uh, even in the early days of Christianity, the church was birthed into a very pluralistic society. That's why you see in Acts chapter 17, when we get there in six years, in Acts chapter 17, you see that there is an altar that has been made to the unknown God. That the people at Athens said, you know what, we've got all these altars to all these different gods. Just in case we missed one, let's have one to an unknown God just to cover our basis. Today, this idea is just as popular as it has ever been. There's just one problem with it. Jesus taught that there was one way to salvation. And since Jesus taught that, it doesn't matter if we think contrary to it. There is only one way of salvation. It's not a claim that we invented. 
Rather, it's a truth that we as followers of Jesus are simply repeating. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one is going to come to the Father unless it is through me. It doesn't get any plainer than that. So in Acts chapter 4, what Peter's going to do, he's simply going to restate what Jesus has said a short time prior. Remember the backdrop for Acts chapter 4. This is right after the miracle that occurs in Acts chapter 3 where a lame man is healed and Peter and John are explaining how this healing of this lame man gives people a picture of the power of Jesus to save the soul. Let's read our text, Acts chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men, just the men, the head of households, the number came to about 5,000. You add that to the 3,000 already mentioned. This is quickly becoming a massive movement of followers of Jesus. Verse 5 says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, Peter's saying if you're actually going to put us on trial for healing somebody, then I'll tell you the reason. The reason is Jesus. This Jesus, verse 11, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, may God say that about the people of God today. May the world around us look at us and say, you know what? I can tell that they have been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. These were not polished men. They didn't have fancy degrees. They were fishermen. They were regular people. But they were speaking with authority and boldness. And the Sadducees, at this point, all they want to do is dismiss these guys. But there's this other guy who's just standing there with this silly grin on his face, ear to ear, who had just been healed, who I'm sure is asking them, y'all want to sign up for a 5K? Y'all ready to run? Let's go. I mean, he'd been healed, and, and they can't discount what Jesus did because the proof is right there. 
Verse 15 says, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred one another, saying, what shall we do to these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Stop speaking about Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now this morning, I'm not going to try to convince you why Jesus is the only way. You either take him at his word or you don't. You either believe what he said or you don't. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to approach the text this morning by trying to convince you he's the only way. Jesus said it. That is said. Someone wrote a, uh, had a sign sometime. I call it bumper theology, and I don't like it at all. But the, the, the sign said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, the problem is the middle part. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Okay, Jesus said it, and that's the way it is. So we're going to take Jesus at his word. So instead of approaching this from trying to convince you that Jesus is the only way, I want to approach it from this perspective. What difference does it make that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven? And to try to understand that, I want to use three words. And I'll give all three words to you here at the beginning. And then we'll go back through each one of them hurriedly and try to understand what they mean. Those three words are accountability, dependability, and responsibility. Those three words, I think, summarize in helping us understand what difference it makes that Jesus is the only way. So the first word we're going to look at is this, <clears throat> accountability. Accountability. Jesus being the only way to God means that we are accountable to him. This is why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Look, I am not accountable to my culture for my relationship with God. I'm not accountable to you for my relationship with God. You're not accountable to me for your relationship with God. You're not going to answer to me. I'm not, you're not, I'm not going to stand before you at the end of time, and you're not going to stand before me at the end of time. We're going to stand before God. Everyone will stand before God, and therefore we are all accountable to God. See, there's a difference between subjective truth and objective truth. And a lot of us are wanting subjective truth when it comes to Jesus and God and salvation, and Jesus doesn't work that way. See, here, here's the, the, the difference. Objective truth is something you can verify. Five plus five equals? Yes. All right. Ooh. Uh, you, you can't get around that. Five plus five, you can verify that. <clears throat> the capital of the state of Florida is? Tallahassee. Whether you like Tallahassee or not has nothing to do with it. It is the capital of our state. Dogs are better than cats. 
That is certainly objective truth. <laughs> Subjective truth. Hey, Disney never said cats go to heaven. They didn't say dogs go there. <laughs> Subjective truth. Uh, I love the rain. Okay, well, you can love the rain. If you love it, you ought to be really happy this morning. That doesn't mean that all rain is lovely. Hurricanes aren't lovely. That's a subjective truth. Or here's a, a subjective truth that if you're married, I guarantee you, you know about. What temperature should the thermostat remain at? <laughs> Mandy and I, and she's in Mississippi with our son today, but uh, Mandy and I, we've about decided we're going to sell our house in my two different apartments so she can have her thermostat and I can have mine. <laughs> Because to her, X degrees is nice and cool, and to me, I just see the power bill going up. <laughs> it's something that's subjective. Who has the best ribs? That's subjective. Sunny's or Texas Roadhouse? You got to try them both out, right? There's a difference in objective truth and subjective truth. Here's why this is important. If what we believe about God, Jesus, and salvation is subjective, then we can believe whatever we want to believe because it's up to us. However, if what we believe about God, Jesus, and salvation is objective, we must make sure that we get it right because that means that we give an account to the one who sets the standard. See, our salvation was accomplished by the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't believe that Jesus got up out of that grave because of some subjective preference that we would have about life, but because of God's objective power over death. You don't need a subjective feeling of religiosity for your salvation, but you need the objective power of God giving you new life because you will stand before God and you will be held accountable for what you did with your sin and what you did with Jesus. Accountability. He created us. He died for us. He was raised to life to give life to us, and every person will stand before him. We're accountable to God for what we do with Jesus. That's the difference that it makes. The second word is dependability. Not just accountability, but dependability. The fact that we are accountable to God means that we need to be able to depend upon Jesus to make us acceptable before God. If Jesus is truly the only way, we must fully depend upon him for salvation. Very important to grasp this truth and hold on to it. The dependability of Jesus leads to the humility of his followers. I repeat that because I think it's important. The dependability of Jesus, because sometimes people will say, well, you, you guys who believe Jesus is the only way, y'all just arrogant. Y'all just think y'all have got the answer. Y'all just think that you're enlightened. <laughs> the dependability of Jesus will lead to the humility of Jonathan. 
because I have to depend upon him for everything. Peter never claimed to be better than anyone else. In fact, if you recall in verse 13, it says that they were uneducated common men. These were normal people. Peter doesn't claim to have superiority uh, in intelligence over others. The basis, the only basis of what Peter is saying is what he has seen and heard. You see, Peter is simply depending on Jesus being truthful and right. And he is choosing to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believing Jesus is who he says he is will drive you to depend upon him. And that dependence will produce humility in your heart. You see, I have to admit that I'm not smart enough to figure out truth. So God came down to heaven to live truth before me. I have to admit that I'm not good enough to be perfect. So God came to earth to be perfect for me. I have to admit that that I can't pay a high enough price to satisfy the penalty of my sin and God's wrath against me and my sin. So I depend upon the life of Jesus and his death to satisfy God's wrath against me, thus opening the way for me to have a relationship with God. It's all about what Jesus has done. I have to depend solely and wholly and completely upon him. If he's the only way that I can do nothing but depend upon him. You see, really, there's really only one question, and I guess I could have summarized the sermon, but I would have gypped you the price of admission today. There's really only one question that separates the gospel from every other religious message in the world. And that question is, who can save us? Can we save ourselves? If so, yeah, there can be multiple ways to God. Just choose a path, do your best, say your prayers, take your vitamins, try to be a good person, and hope the path you're on gets you there. However, If Jesus is the only one who can save us, then salvation is only found in the place where he has provided for it. And that's why verse 12 is so important. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We must depend upon Jesus. See, it's accountability. That makes a difference. It's dependability. But the third word is responsibility. It's responsibility. We, let's have a pastoral way to frame this. We can say all day long, that we believe Jesus is the only way. We could have the president of all six of our Southern Baptist cemeteries, seminaries, come in here. <laughs> and they could test us. And we would all say, yep, Jesus is the only way. We, we, we could say it. We can put on Facebook that we believe that. We can quote this verse, whatever. 
But what we do, what we do speaks louder than what we say when it comes to this. Because here's what we need to understand. If we truly believe that Jesus is the only way for salvation, then we must understand the tremendous responsibility that we have to share that message. The fact The fact that every person is accountable to God, the fact that every person will answer to God for their sin, and the fact that Jesus is the only dependable solution for our sin should drive us to embrace our responsibility to live like people who have been sent into our communities, into our families, and into our world with the gospel. See, Peter... I don't know if you caught this yet, but if anybody who was talking to Peter, if they waited half a breath, Peter started preaching. And Peter's pattern was that anytime he had the opportunity, he's sharing the message of Jesus. Why? He has a sense of urgency because he is convinced that Jesus is the only way. Church, if we really believe this, it will change how we see the world. Okay, watch, watch this. Let's pretend that Acts chapter 3 doesn't happen the way our text tells us. Let's pretend Acts chapter 3 goes like this. One day as Peter and John were walking to the temple, they saw a lame man, a beggar, begging for alms. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, having the power to heal this man, Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but I wish you well. Hoover thing goes out, go, comes out all, all right for you. And Peter and John went on their way. Would we not conclude that Peter, had he done that, would have been a pretty sorry excuse for an apostle? I mean, here's a man who has the ability given to him by Jesus to heal this man's infirmity. How cruel would it have been for Peter just to walk on by, knowing he had the power to heal the man, just to walk on by? Would you agree with me? Would that not be a cruel thing to do? I'm going to keep preaching until you start talking. (laughs) Do you? You don't have to agree just if you don't say no, but by goodness, say something. Do you not agree, would it have been a cruel thing for Peter having the power to heal this man, to watch him, and to walk right on by? Would that have been cruel? Yes. How much more crueler is it for you and I to have the gospel in our hearts, to walk by sinners and say, I hope somebody gets to them, but it won't be me. How cold of a Christian heart is it for someone to see a sinner bound for hell and for us to have the answer but to just sip our lips 
for whatever excuse we have to offer. How cruel would that be? And yet, it happens every day. It's my fault. It's my sin. And it's yours. Because we fail to take seriously this responsibility. May we embrace our our responsibility to do what sent people do. To tell others about the one who has sent us. To say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Across the street, across town, across the county, across the state, to the side of the world, wherever you call me, Lord. Lord, here I am. Send me. God has the table before us. What's on that table, we don't know. Our job is to put the yes on that table. Truth be told, every religion, not just Christianity, every religion is exclusive. Even those who claim to despise religion are exclusive. Because everyone has a line that they draw, a standard that they set as to what it means to be a good person or an acceptable person. The gospel is exclusive, but it offers us a different kind of exclusivity. The gospel teaches that our acceptance by God isn't based upon who we are. This is based upon the family from which we come, like the high priestly family mentioned in Acts chapter 4. Or anything that we do or don't do. The gospel teaches us that God gives salvation as a gift to all who will repent and receive it that way. The good news of the gospel is this. (laughs) There is only one single way to salvation. But the way is big enough for every single person to find it. He that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. The gospel is only good news if it gets into our hearts in time. There is only one way, but all are welcome. And I've said this a time or two in the past, but you've slept since then, so let me just remind you. Since you're going to bow down before Jesus anyway, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Philippians chapter 2 tells us. The atheist, the agnostic, the Baptist, the Methodist, the Catholic, the Presbyterian, pick your flavor. Democrat, the Republican, Independent, the Green Party, the Green Tea Party, again, pick your flavor. The rich, the poor, the black, the white, the yellow, the green, the purple, the red, whatever, pick your flavor. Every knee one day will bow before Jesus and say, Jesus, you are Lord. So if you're going to do it anyway, why not do it today? Because today, it brings salvation. 
in that time that Jesus talked about at the end of time, it doesn't bring salvation. You're just acknowledging a truth, and then you're experiencing eternity without God. It just makes sense to a simple boy from the country that if you're going to bow to Jesus anyway, why not bow to him in salvation? Because he's the only way for salvation. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. I just want to ask you, has there been a time that you bowed your heart before Jesus? That you've, in the best way you know how, you've confessed your sins to Jesus. And you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Just to yourself, answer that question. Has there been a time? <clears throat> I don't mean that you have to recall the exact date, the exact time, the exact location. Just Has there been that time in your life? If not, if you haven't done that, when I pray in just a moment, would you just ignore me as I pray? And would you just pray? Would you just confess your sins to the Lord as best you know how right where you are? Confess him as Lord. And ask him to give you his gift of salvation. There are no strings attached. It just has to be received through faith. If you've got a question about that, when we stand and sing, you make your way right down here and we'll get you in touch with someone who can help you understand what it means to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But let me speak to those of us in this room who already have. We know that Jesus is the only way. As I said earlier, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Will you take the gospel to that person in your family? Will you take the gospel to that person who lives in your neighborhood? That person who sits in your classroom at school. To that person who works with you. To that greeter that you see every time you go to the grocery store. God's put that person right there every time for a purpose. Would you share with them the hope that you have? You don't have to have a seminary degree. We can be common, uneducated, ordinary men and women filled with the Spirit of God who simply give a testimony to what we have seen and heard Jesus do in our lives. If we really believe He's the only way, will we live like it? Father, I thank You that Jesus provided the way for us to have a restored relationship with God. And I'm thankful that that way requires nothing on our part to do other than just simply to receive the gift of grace that you want to give us. And so, Father, I pray if there's one here in this room that's never bowed their heart before you and repented of their sin, that even now they would confess you as their Lord and Savior they would receive the gift of salvation that you're offering. 
that they would realize they cannot be good enough to achieve it. They cannot do enough to receive it. To simply trust in you. And Father, I pray for those of us who have made that decision already. Would you help us live as if we truly believe that Jesus is the only way. That we have the answer that can cure the sin problem that sinners have. Would you help us to share it just as Peter shared the message. Have your will and your way with us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's...